Well, welcome to another interview. And this one is on a really fascinating topic. I think everybody that has a pet or is a pet parent, uh, especially have a dog, is going to love this interview. So I asked my friend, Lori Taylor, who is the owner of a company called True Pet. I'll let you tell, I'll let Lori tell you about True Pet and uh, why she even got into dog food because she wasn't into it initially. She's more of a business advisor expert. Uh, anyway, um, we decided that it would be a really, really fun interview to talk about gene testing for your dogs because there's a, there's several, quite a few companies out there beginning to offer uh, gene tests and they provide a lot of precious information. So welcome, Lori. Thanks for, for doing this. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited to be here too. Um, when I, as you know, when I, I, I do, I have a big business background and we became friends as I was doing business things. And as we, but during that journey, uh, my dog had died of cancer, Truman, and I had researched very heavily. Um, when he got sick with the cancer, he, we, we found it in his right leg. And so we had to remove it because it, it hadn't gone into the bloodstream yet. So we had to remove that leg. And in that, I, I knew I was smart enough because my mom had passed away from leukemia when I was 19, that I knew that cancer was so relatable to nutrition. So I dove into nutrition for dogs, just like knowing nothing. I mean, just nothing. And I dove into it because I was committed that I made this choice on his behalf. And I didn't want to do it in vain. Like I didn't want to do it and then have the cancer come back. So I wanted to figure out what I could do nutrition-wise to, to not to prevent as best as possible coming back, to be able to look myself in the mirror and said, I did something different. I got focused, I shifted and I focused on this. And in that, for me, the really thing I love to share with people is that in that there was one study and the one study is why I created True Pet. Literally read a study and it was from Texas A&M that said your dog is four times more likely to die of breast cancer than you are, eight times more likely to die of bone cancer than you are and 35 mm -hmm. times more likely to die of skin cancer than you are. And- oh. Why? Yeah, exactly. So that's what I said. I said, wait, wait. And so then I researched, I'm thinking genetics or, you know, G things, DNA, things like that. So, which wasn't a big topic back then in 2009. So uh, it was, but it wasn't as prevalent as now. It just wasn't all over the place like it is now. And when I dug into it, I started looking at research at what the vets were saying and what some of the holistic vets were saying. And there was a lot of talk out there that was centered around the fact that they believed that kibble, that what had been created was a food that was made like in the 1950s, it wasn't even something that's been forever. Like we used to feed our dogs table scraps and I don't want to go into the history of dog food, but just know that kibble was really created from a business reason because of the human CPG companies like a Procter and Gamble or Purina at the time, uh, they were doing, um, creating human products and then they had byproducts and the byproducts were costing them money because they couldn't sell them to humans. So they found a way to render that meat and turn it into what they called dog food. And that's kibble. And that's what we see tonight. And um, there's a lot of people that- What about the canned dog food? The can so canned dog food, same. So here's the thing, here's a cool thing. So people don't realize this, but canned dog food and kibble are both created at the same high temperatures. So for me, when I simplify it for people, because there's a lot of people a lot smarter than me, veterinarians, nutritionists that could come in and just really break this down for you. But at the highest level, when you simplify a very complex message, it comes down to the, the to create the kibble that you put in your dog's bowl, the ingredients have to be heated at 180 degrees for at least six hours. And so basically, uh -huh. you're putting all these ingredients into a big vat, 
and stirring it. Okay. And just being like really basic, stirring it. And it turns into like this gray sludge. It's just what it does. And it's like the whole chicken, the beef, everything just gets dumped in here, melted. And then they take it out on a table, dry it out. Okay. I'm oversimplifying the process, but this is how it works. Dry it out, turns into like a sand, like it's, it's a sand like material and they have to put it back together again. So I know you'll understand this, but when they put it back together again, it requires starch. So they use a starch, and that's why the food is so heavily um, has so many carbs in it because the starch is what allows the kibble to form the hard pieces. So when you form those hard pieces, you know you you look at it, you're like, oh, okay. And so you think, well, the dog, how are they going to eat that? So they start spraying it with fats and doing things to actually encourage the dog to eat it. Because if you took a dog into a dog food plant and walked them up to the sand part with before it's been formulated and all the fats and colors have been added to it and things like that, they wouldn't eat it because it's, it's it you wouldn't know better. Mm-hmm. It. Anyway, that's sad for dogs all over the world. Dog owners not knowing what you just said. And that's what they're doing. Right. And it's just that basic thing. And if you don't, Donna, like I just told you that, and, and, and you know, like, I think people would consider you a foremost expert on pretty much anything health. And when I tell people like you and I tell dog lovers and, and people in my horse community, we do show jumping. So we're very high into nutrition because we have sport mm-hmm. athlete champions and yeah. we try to take care of them. And no, not one person in five years has ever said, yeah, I knew that. Not one. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, yeah, no, um, no one knows this. So people get to know it. And that's when I decided to create my own dog food, which was a, a, back then freeze dried raw dog food was a very small, very, very, very small part of the market. And within five years, we captured over 5% of it um, simply because we went out to the consumers instead of going through wholesale where you don't have that one-on-one help. We decided to be that advocate, talk directly to the consumer, be a resource and provide them with a nutritional plan that would support their dog better than what I believe kibble does. So, and we can talk about more. Obviously. Yeah. yeah. But that's yeah. kind of the whole well, premise of where we came and And one of the biggest pushbacks I always get is people would talk about genetics, right? Because you know, who cares what you feed your dog? You know, kind of a victim mentality, right? Because, um, because they have genetic issues, that's why they get cancer. Well, I wish that's why only reason they got cancer because then maybe 50% of dogs wouldn't die of cancer. It would be a lot smaller number. But dogs are not just dying of cancer because of genetics. Like that's absolutely not true. And that's a myth. Well, True. You know, today there's such an interest in ancestral diets. Like, what did our uh, very yeah. ancient ancestors eat? Around 10,000 years ago, we really got into agricultural farming. And of course, our genes change. So, we don't. So, that argument that we have to eat what our ancestors ate uh, is, has holes in it. Somewhat yeah. true, but not completely, because our genes do change and evolve. If you move in, if our great ancestors moved, into a place and they begin to farm, then our genes are going to adapt. And that's actually what happened to dogs around 10,000 years ago. They stopped being like wild wolves and so on. And they became domesticated and began to eat, like you said, human scraps, whatever people had probably, probably wasn't the greatest diet then either. That's for sure. But um, that, that, so I, one of the things I think is cool about, okay, so there are two, there's, there's quite a few, you know, companies now that are doing genetic testing for right. dogs. And the two that I've looked into that I like best are Embark yep. and, uh, and, and Identibreed is the other yes. one. And they actually test for different things. So I honestly yes. would recommend getting both. And yep. for people who love their dogs, they're not going to think twice about doing this. But I'd love to go into those two companies and, um, you know, just first of all, maybe why should you do it. You're gene testing on your dog and it's the Embark. 
that particular company does tell you how much wolf is in your dog, which I think is cool. A cool yeah, they do. You know. And it's always interesting because I tell people like, you know, when we talk about those four times, eight times, 35 times, and then I tell someone also, because there's a lot of talk about the dog being so close to the wolf, and it's true. So I think they share like 98% of the same DNA. You know, I, that's what people quote. There's different thoughts out there, um, different uh, schools of thoughts around it. Um, so take your pick. But it's a high number of genes. But what's more interesting is that dogs share 82% of the same DNA traits that we do. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that, but like it's... so yeah, when they have about that, 20,000 genes, I think, and we yeah. have about... 19, around that 19, 20, 20. Yeah. The dogs have 19,000. I think we have 20,000. I think it flip flopped it, but, or mm-hmm. maybe the other way around, but the reality mm-hmm. is it's very close. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I hear that, so when I hear that, and then I hear the four times, eight times, 35 times, I know that the cancer problem that we have with our dogs today that we did not have in the early 1900s. And I know people will push back to all oh, studies and this, whatever. I'm just telling you based on the facts that I know, and these are just the ones I know. Um, when you look at it from that perspective, why, if we shared 82% of the same genetics, why would, why would I die 35 times more likely to die of skin cancer than you? Well, what we would probably talk about is nutrition would be a big piece of the difference in your lifestyle and mine. Mm-hmm. For sure. mm-hmm. I know that. Gosh, I want to be down at Gates when I grow up. Um, but so for me, when I look at these, I start looking in the genetic testing as well. And I know you and I talked about Embark and I didn't breed. And for people out there listening to this, not, you know, I don't want to overwhelm people. Like I want to keep it so simple. And I want to say, look, Mm -hmm. if you go to Embark, they have ancestry tests and then they have ancestry plus health. So if you look at the ancestry, Mm -hmm. they're going to be more breed specific. It's going to be more, you know, traits Mm -hmm. around the breed Mm -hmm. and what to expect and things like that. But they have over on their health, they do over 170 conditions and they're adding more. And then their physical traits on there. That's what's cool in there. They actually give you physical traits so you can know, hey, especially for people like who rescue dogs or they don't know Mm -hmm. the breed, they're going to tell you how big that dog's going to get. They can predict that. They can tell you how much it's going to shed. And things Mm -hmm. like that, I think, are what cause people to take dogs and put them back to the shelter, right? Because they get a dog, they think it's mm-hmm. going to be small, it grows, it's too big, they have an excuse that their yard isn't big enough, their house is too small, or they start shedding, they have allergies, all the things. Mm-hmm. Or the dog was an active dog that needs to have a lot of walks and you're, you're old. Right. <laughs> you just sit down, you need a dog that just sits down and doesn't necessarily need to be walked all day. So that's really good. Before they rescue a dog, it's possible to do this and test the dog so you can figure out, you know, what kind of, I mean, you see a cute, I got this cute little puppy for my daughter I rescued from a, from a a shelter and it ended up being 115 pound, you know, great Pyrenees, um, mix, and he's gorgeous. I mean, he's gorgeous, Mm -hmm. but, and he's, he just, we couldn't have anticipated that. We didn't anticipate mm-hmm, he was going mm-hmm, to be this big, huge dog. We don't care. We love big dogs. But, but the thing is, is shelters, there's a lot of them barely have any money to feed the dogs with, unfortunately. And so they're not going to test the dog. But you can. Um, I think that there's some shelters like that, some of the rescue places where you can get a swab and do what you need to do in order to do mm-hmm. the test on the dog if you have a concern. And I, I'm not like suggesting that. I'm just saying for someone that's in the gap and doesn't think about rescuing and wants to, you know, go to a breeder just because they know what they're going to get. I just mm-hmm. think that this is a cool way for people to make sure that the dog that they rescue um, gets to stay with them. I think the worst mm-hmm. thing you can do for a dog, not to get into a rabbit Change hole, yeah. but it's to, to send them back. I yeah, mean, they get yeah. rescued, oh my gosh, and you take him back. And, and it's like, that's a whole thing. But, but what I love is, so I love the physical traits part. And they do another cool thing where they, relatives. So you can actually, they actually focus on you being able to see where there's other relatives or how they're connected to other dogs. And I think that's just fun. I think it's great to have the science. And I think it's, it's fun to have fun, right? To see that with mm-hmm. your dog. Now, I did a breath. Well, 
My, my, my assistant has a little dachshund and you know, they're long and they tr always have back problems. You have to watch out for yeah. that their whole life. But uh, some breeds, especially a mixed breed, you might not even, you might suspect they have some of that, some dachshund in them, but um, they, you find out for sure. And then, you know, you can um, just start doing things like protect their back. Yes. You know, what can you do to protect their back? So I think one of the most important things is prevention. Once you know what your dog has in you, like is this dog more likely to have hip problems or, you know, you, you can start focusing on that. Um, well, that's what we, like, that's what I loved about the testing and looked into it because at True Dog, our philosophy is, and I sold the company to a company called Better Choice and um, actually named the new entity, but a Better Choice company because people come to me and be like, oh my gosh, your food's so expensive. Well, it is expensive because it's all meat, it's all muscles, it's vital organ mix, it's all the things, which we could talk about later. Um, so it costs a lot to make it, right? Because if you look at a bag of dog food and you have to ask yourself, you shouldn't ask yourself why my dog food's so expensive because it's easy to see how it compares to human meat and things like that. What you should ask yourself is why is that 40 pound dog of food so cheap? And there's no way in, in heck that someone can be paying you know, that, that little if there's that much chicken in it or that much beef in it, there's no way that that $40 pound could be that cheap. So the reality is, is it's just not very much protein in the bag like you think there is. And, um, and so for me, I, I also grew up from a family. I was poor, lack of resources. We wouldn't have been able to afford freeze-dried dog food for our dogs. We just wouldn't have been able to do it. But we would have been able to go to our butcher and get cheap meat and do all the things because if you do it that way yourself, it is just the same price as buying a bag of kibble. So I love that aspect of it. And I tell people that at True Dog, and this lines up right with genetic testing, look, it's not about doing the very best thing you can do on the planet for your dog. It's about doing the best you can do for your dog. And what I found is everyone's best can always be a little bit better. So what I mean by that, if you're already spending $100 a month on dog food, you're not going to be able to go up to 300. A lot of people cannot. However, could you go to 120? Like, could you find $20 and invest it in a supplement for your dog, knowing like you just said, that they have a back problem. So True Dog created a system where we have we're not all about our kibble, like are all about our freeze dried. We're like, Hey, that's the best. We think it's the best thing you can do for your dog on the planet. And we have a way for you to also feed kibble because we know that's what you can afford. So we have ways around that. So, you know, that's what I really liked about Identibreed, which is the other company is that they focus on food sensitivity to like 300 items. I believe they do environmental sensitivity to 300 items. They do levels for 80 vitamins and minerals, 50 toxic metals. You'd be shocked at how much metals in your body. And I'm certain it's in your dog's body because they're doing the same thing you're doing and living in the same environment. And then they have levels for like 20 hormones. So the thing I, and the really cool thing they have is they actually test the cortisol level in your dog so they can see how stressed your dog is. I mean, and, and that's something for you to notice and think about. So with that paradigm, you're able to go, wow, my dog's sensitive to grains or my dog's sensitive to certain beefs or proteins and things like that. And I think then you can make a more educated decision about how to feed your dog. And if you're listening to this right now and you're watching, you're like, I just go to Kroger or the grocery store and buy the best dog food I can afford. So did I. And my dog lost his leg and then he died. So I did that too. And all I know is when I shifted to this plan and shifted with this strategy, my other great Dane, TJ Truman Jr., who I got right after T, um, Truman passed away, he lived to be 11. We literally, he died of old age and on New Year's Eve. We, we helped him go to the Rainbow Bridge, but his, his, 
body wasn't working anymore, his organs and stuff. And so he wasn't able to like even get up at that point. And mm -hmm. so we, we let him go to the Rainbow Bridge. Um, but that's a pretty old age for a Great Dane. And he yeah, had what, what is the age for a great Dane? I thought they died I mean, really early. Like eight. eight, nine. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be mm -hmm. people who go, like, Oh, my great Dane's 12. Like that. It, it, it's an exception there. It's an exception because there's such a big dog. I, my belief system is there's such a big dog. There's 175 pounds. And for the most part, we feed him cereal twice a day. And I mean, mm -hmm. if I took my 170 pound son in high school right now and fed him cereal twice a day, it just wouldn't work out for his body long-term. Mm -hmm. It just wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Right. And you know that I know that. Everybody knows that. Um, but people are not, when you make the, this conversation, people are, oh my gosh, yes. And how can I know more? So mm -hmm. what I really like about Better Choice Company is we actually bought a company called Halo, which is what I believe one of the better kibbles out there. Because again, I'm not about kibble shaming because it's really what's viable for most people. I'm mm -hmm. just about you understanding what kibble can do for your dog and where, what the gap is for what it, it, it can't do so that you can close the gap. And I think some of this genetic testing allows you to do that because it gives you kind of a navigation guide to your dog's personal needs. And then mm -hmm. you can make better decisions that you can afford. Well, you know, that's the thing with human, right? It's so valuable to get your genes tested. If you're a human, you can uh, predict where there's going to be a problem. You can personalize a diet for them or a lifestyle for them even. And uh, so it's three Ps. You can predict, personalize, and prevent something from happening. Now, the, getting back to the cortisol and the dog that's stressed, or probably people think my dog's probably that dog, right? Because they they are they're more nervous, you know. They, uh, but it's so interesting because some dogs, obviously, some breeds are real calm, like they're right. just easygoing. You know, a man comes to the door, they bark, and then they, for a second or two, and then they go back and forget about it. With other dogs, still stay real. Uh, there's genes in humans that are exactly the same. You know, a gene yes. called COMP, C-O-M-T. Uh, your dopamine gets up when you get real stressed out, and your adrenaline goes up, and then you, you don't clear it easily. So you stay that way in a state of, you know, hyper alert, right. very, very focused, stressed out. And uh, so, you know, that's where... Well, with humans, there's even supplements that you can take, you know, they're calming for you, but obviously lifestyle is really, really critical. And so you don't want to put yourself in a stressful situation. Um, so I think that I, that would certainly be true for your dog, you know, like, well, let's say you're, this is not a good show dog, for example, yeah. because that's a really stressful life. Right. Uh, so don't no, pick it, that puppy. I don't think people think about it. Like mm -hmm. horse, I told you I ride horses and, and, and when it's 20 degrees out and I get on a horse that hasn't been outside, it's been in a stall, the, it's frozen, the ground's frozen, it's not conducive to take, letting him go out, and I get on him, I got a lot of energy, right? And because of a self-preservation in me, I work very diligently to calm myself, to get relationship with him, to calm mm -hmm. him down, to walk him, to circle him, to get his mind active and moving his body to help him process his stress out of his body. Because naturally, if a horse was stressed like in the wild, they would run and they would run it off or they would move their body, but we've got them kind of confined. I don't think it's that different for our dogs. We're just not thinking about it because you think of dogs are sleeping a lot. They're doing whatever, but when they're mm -hmm. awake, if they're super hyper and they don't have a dog companion to play with or shake off the energy with, and you're not walking them and moving their body with them, that's just something to notice and think about because walking and moving your dog's body and playing with them isn't just for fitness but it's for mental stability for some dogs mm, that are that's a lot great point. Really great yeah. point. Oh, I didn't want to mention that the Embark 
uh, gene testing is from Cornell. And, oh, that's right. That's true. And there's another one uh, that you also can get called Wisdom that a lot of vets will use. If you go to your vet, they may suggest you want to test your dog. And that, that, that's the Wisdom one that they use more of. But it's just a swab. Like, it's real easy to collect it. So you have to, yeah. like with 23andMe, for example, people have to spit in a little vial. Right. It's kind of hard to get a two-year-old to do that. Yeah. I love to do that. Right. So it is just a simple swab test in case people are wondering, how am I going to collect my dog's DNA? And then the other thing that I like is um, this concept of citizen science. So uh, now a lot of people with 23andMe, they don't, they're thinking, I'm not going to get my genes tested. I'm afraid that they're going to learn about me. It's going to come back and haunt me. They're going to use that information that they find out about me and uh, their uh, May insurance going to go up or something. I don't want them to right. know about me, but it's interesting uh, what they are doing. Well, this is what 23andMe is doing. They are, um, you know, using your DNA for science. Like how many people, you know, issues with cardiovascular disease, it helps them to know, it helps the drug companies to know, you know, how many of us are dealing with that, that are uh, white, you know, uh, genetic, you know, maybe, or Caucasian or Asian or whatever, but uh, they come from different parts of the world. Like maybe, like my father uh, was 100% Italian. So there's uh, about 85% of Italians have a gene called MTHFR, which is a real common, you know, it's a gene everyone's talking about. Most uh, people from Hispanic companies have MTHFR, about 85%. 85% of the kids with autism have MTHFR. So, you know, they look at this and then they kind of, make decisions, I think. So that's how they're using that information. But you, um, there's a lot, there's more and more uh, gene testing companies that have their own kits that are coming online that do not share your information. So. Right. I, when so I was talking about with that with you earlier, you know, before this interview, and you know, you'd asked me, well, you know, have you done your testing? And I haven't. And the easy answer would be privacy and insurance. But at the end of the day, kind of with you, like, I feel like they know more about me. That's a lot more valuable than that, right? So what I'm doing, my habits, I mean, they could just watch what I buy online at Amazon for food and accuse mm-hmm. me if, you know, she's not a good food chooser or something, you know, mm-hmm. like, so, but really for me, it was even, um, I, I think what was interesting and what's changed is that to your point, it, it's an opportunity to see a map, a blueprint of what's possible for you. And when you look at it from that perspective and know that it's no longer, it's an old school of thought to think that if you have this certain gene, you're screwed and there's no way you're not going to get that particular disease. I think it's easy to get a disease and look back and say you had the gene, but I don't think it's true that you say I have the gene, I'm, I'm doomed now. And I mm, think, for me, that, right, that was the gap for me because I was like, I remember Tony Robbins asking us, you know, in a big thing he was doing, saying, if you could know the day you were going to die, would, and I hand you a piece of paper, I could tell you the day, the minute, how you're going to die, would you want that? And people, some people did. I didn't. I was like, I, I don't. And there was a number of reasons why, but I didn't want to. Um, be, and, and in the same case with my genetics, I was like, oh, I don't want to manifest it. Like, I don't, I don't want to know because I'll start. Yeah, now you know it'll happen. Yeah, it'll happen. Well, you know, our friend Natalie James, uh, Jill, Natalie Jill, who I did a wonderful interview with, she says something I think that's really important is that when you find out there's something you don't like or there's something you don't like the way that you look, uh, the first thing you do is make a decision. Like, I don't like the way my neck looks, for example. Okay. So the first thing you do is, well, I have different options. I can get a neck lift. I can 
use certain creams or whatever, do oil therapy or different kinds of things, or just live with it. But first you make a decision. It's the same thing with gene testing. You know, you get this information. I have the APOE4, one copy of that, which is pretty common actually, I think. So, okay, I'm just going to, you know, keep eating the way I eat and having all this stress and never exercise and so on. And just get dementia, uh, you know, because it runs in my family. I'm just going to, or you can make a decision to say, I'm not going to go there. And then you, you don't go on a, so with the APOE4, you don't want a high saturated fat diet. And uh, so you say, okay, I'm not going to eat a whole bunch of butter and animal fat. No, I'm going to go with omega-3 fats and olive oil and uh, avocado oil and not a whole lot of it. Because you made a smart decision and you prevent it. So that's the same, I think, with the dogs. Um, well, it's it, like understanding that we're empowering ourselves. Like not being victim definitely. to our circumstances, but being senior to our circumstances and saying, look, like Dawn is out there. There Dawn is. There's Dave Sinclair is out there. There's people out there doing big things in this work that are literally say, look, this is just knowledge so that you can be preventative. And that's what I tell people. Like I want to live in a world where pre prevention is the number one priority for pet parents. That's what I want to live in where you understand oh, it. Exactly. And this is why it's so important to me. And I, I will hope everyone don't hear anything else. I say, let this land. I choose to not genetic test yet. I chose to eat the way I've eaten. I've chose to live the stressful life that I've chosen. I've chose all of those things. I'm in complete and full ownership of that. At any point to your point, Don, I can decide and I can change it if I want to. Your dog doesn't really have a voice like that. So you have to remember that your choice is your dog's voice. So you must choose as if his life depends on it because it does. It literally does. And so knowing that for your dog and being able to go in here and knowing that your dog maybe be prone to, like I know one of the tests, like like their tests for clinical tests, they have blood tests, hormone tests for the dogs, immune tests, eyes, kidney, bladder. I mean, it goes on and on, heart, muscular, all those things. And so if you're like, oh, my dog's going to have muscular issues. Okay. So now you know for that extra $20 I was talking about that you could find in your budget, Maybe you invest in a joint supplement or something, some sort of protocol that you know will support him because to believe that a box of basically cereal or bag is going to solve a specific challenge, we don't believe that is for ourselves, right? We don't believe that for ourselves that you just give one little bowl and I'm going to be good for the rest of my life. I'm just going to eat this one bowl twice a day and I'm good. No, we believe in, like you said, Maybe you have high fat, low fats. I have like no sugar in my diet, like whatever it takes for your genetics to, uh, so for you to be senior to your circumstances and be able to say, look, this is what could happen for me, but I'm going to try to prevent it the best I can by doing the things I know that can offset some of the challenges that come with that particular gene trait. And, and mm -hmm. that's what I want to do for our dogs. You know, I feel like if people, because you know why Donna, because it's a lot easier for me to make the best decision for my dog than it is for myself, right? Because, well, I, yeah, you know it is. I mean, in a way their life is much simpler and, uh, yeah. but I love what you said though, about the dog doesn't have a choice. They're really, really helpless. Those are your children actually, yeah. basically. I know, I believe very strongly that within the next five years, they will be testing babies as soon as they're born and, uh, you know, helping parents make wise choices with their children's diet and lifestyle and so on. Uh, I did. I was got off track there a little bit, but I did want to mention that the um, way 23andMe is doing citizen science is also true for, I think, Embark does that. Like, they take that information, and they use that to help 
learn more about prevention, uh, you know, like if it's a cardiovascular disease issue, they're, they're looking for solutions to help our dogs. Well, it's Cornell so, University, so I think it goes back into their database. And what I want to tell every pet parent out there, mm-hmm. I get your human concerns. I get you don't trust human insurance companies. I get it. I, mm-hmm. I'm with you. I understand that fear. But I also invite you to notice that people, less than 5% of the people in um, America have health insurance for their pets. Pet insurance. So it's not but a it is available. I was surprised when I heard that. Oh my gosh, there's a company right now. I forgot to tell you this, Don. There's a company right now that I'm, I'm working with called PetAssistant.co. So that's oh. PetAssistant.co. And as because you had uh, me featured on the summit, I asked them for a favor. And they're willing. It's a really cool thing about nutrition and things for your dog. Not genetics. It's different. It's a whole holistic viewpoint of your dog and how to take care of them and all the questions and to create a plan. But they're giving away, if they go and use the name Lori Taylor, L-O-R-I, Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, and they put that in as the code, they get like a free GPS tracker. It's like a $150 gift. So they're launching and everything like that. And I was like, I just talked to him. I said, hey, could I give Donna some free stuff? So if you want to put that out there to everyone, they, they, they're welcome to have that because, and then they well, can. What do you mean they attach it to their dog? Yeah, it's like a collar, collar like, or something. It's a $150 value and they're giving them away. Wow. For free. Wow. Lori Taylor yeah. from the summit. So yeah. people, and plus you should just check it out, petassistant.co because it's, it's more nutrition based, but it's, it's something that I think everyone should know. And it's an insurance. So what we've done is we've partnered with them so that if you feed your dog certain dog foods, you get to be a part of their club that allows you to have this insurance piece to it as well. So basically mm-hmm. by buying the food, your insurance is basically included. And it's like mm. crazy and people need to go check it out because for me, my great Dane that died when he was 11, mm-hmm. he had stomach turned over. We had that surgery. He ate two different bags on two different occasions and had to have two surgeries where he cut him open and got the bags out of him. He almost died. He had an ACL torn ACL. So like the dog that lived to 11 had serious surgeries that whole time. I believe he'd have lived to be 14 or 15 had some mm-hmm. of those human mm-hmm. errors mm-hmm. where he got into a bag. It was really, we had a pet pig and he used to get the, he was smart enough to get this door open and then they would go in and read the pantry. So I wasn't an irresponsible mm. pet parent. I just had a pig that was determined <laughs> to get in this pantry. So um, finally we, we solved it with some uh, rearranging where the pig lived. But the point is that I want to make here is with everyone is that insurance is a really important part of it as well, because then you can get the wellness vets for your dogs and things like that. So, but um, well, what if you know your dog has a, a risk, say for a back injury, you know, like the dachshund, or what if your vet has already diagnosed your dog to have a genetic heart condition? So, uh, if your dog how do they well, know? Like, if your dog they, has already been treated, my understanding is, uh, is your dog has already been treated for it. It's considered like a pre-existing condition. So, like TJ, I wouldn't have been able to um, insure him for ACL surgery because he's already had it. Right. But there are other things that he would be insured for. That's the same with horses. Mm-hmm. too. So a horse can still be insured, but like if he's already, is there's a known injury that he has, they would exempt that. So that leg would, if that leg got re-hurt, they wouldn't pay for it because it was pre-existing. So but how can they prove that? Let's say you have to get papers from your vet saying your vet, your dog's yeah. had surgery or yeah, it's like, because prove. when you go to get insurance, your vet has to sign off on it, at least with oh, horses. Okay. And they wow. sign up on it. So, you know, I'm sure people get around it. I mean, I definitely don't think it's like humans. I mean, not that I'm trying to tell people to break the rules, but it, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, it's just interesting because in Europe, 25% of Europeans are, have pet insurance, but in the United States, it's less than 5%. Wow. 
And I think it's because we don't trust human insurance companies. So because mm-hmm. of that, we don't believe that the pet insurance companies are good, but they are, and it can save you money. Mm-hmm. And I think that's oh, what's that's great, great. About testing is that uh-huh. when you see that your dog might potentially have some health issues, right? Nothing mm-hmm. scary, but you can, oh gosh, I've got the dachshund and I've got it back and he's got the gene for the joints and oh my gosh, his skin and coat looks like we're having some problems with that. Well, mm-hmm. insurance, you can use that information and go, then it's worth me to pay $19 a month for insurance. And that's what we're talking about. a month. I I mean, I don't even understand why. I mean, I have all my dogs insured now um, after what happened to TJ, but because those surgeries I spoke about are three or $4,000 a piece. A visit to a vet is more expensive than a visit to your regular doctor, human doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just, I mean, just, and so that's why I think we talk about the benefits of the testing. I think you save money and I love the Mm -hmm. citizen science because I want to invite everyone to understand Mm -hmm. this because I kind of went sideways on the insurance conversation because I'm passionate about it. But I also want to, cause I, because people, that's why the dogs end up in shelters. Do you understand? Like a lot of times the reason dogs end up in shelters is because a good hearted person literally didn't have $5,000 and believes if they put their dog in their shelter, maybe someone else will and they'll save them. And they literally do it from that mindset where if they just spent $19 a month on insurance, they wouldn't have had to do that. But like mm-hmm. senior dogs that get given up, it's literally not for always because someone's heartless. It's because they truly believe that there's another wealthy benefactor out there that could actually take care of the dog and they don't have the money to do it. And, you know, that's, that's well, also when you, when they go into the shelters, don't a large number of them end up being put to sleep. So, you know, yeah, they don't want to put the dog to sleep. The, but they, yeah. Oh. The kill shelters and things like that. But it's just mm-hmm. one of those things if we could all come together and really participate in these DNA tests for our dogs, mm-hmm. I don't personally see the risk from a privacy standpoint. My dog doesn't care who knows him. He loves everyone. Right. <laughs> not worried about mm-hmm. it. So he's good. Uh, you know, we put our dogs on Instagram, you know, and now, you know, every single vacation a person went on, but we're worried about checking, you know, cause you put your dog on Instagram, you're filming them, you're taking pictures of where you're at. So anyone that you know, you're in Bora Bora with your dog. Well, you just told the burglar that you're not at home and there's no dog in the house. Mm-hmm. So like have fun. Yeah, right. I mean, facetious a little bit, but do you see how extreme you could go either direction? Mm-hmm. And so I'm passionate about the citizen science that we've spoken about, because if we all came together, we can beat out big pharmas and things like that. Like we can, we can actually find holistic ways to help heal our dogs quicker and better and faster, Mm -hmm. but we Mm -hmm. can't do it without the data. And so with the data, and here's the problem, when you get a company like TruePet, everyone's like, oh, do you have clinical studies? No, I don't, because I don't have a million dollars laying around. I don't, because I'm trying to provide a really expensive way to feed your dog at the lowest price possible. So no, we didn't have money to do all the studies and no one in our space does because we're not, you know, $4 billion companies, right? So the companies that have the money aren't going to reveal the, int- the, the, the story, right? They're, they're doing their own stories and they're trying to improve the kibble. I know they are. I know they are, but they're mm-hmm. doing it on data that they're able to pay for. But if we all come together and get these tests done, then you can help a university like Cornell, super smart, researchers committed, maniacs on a mission like we are to help our dogs live longer and better. Because I also truly believe because of the way the FDA works and all those things work and the, how long it takes to get, you know, cancer drugs through the system. Okay. If you will, mm-hmm. I, because dogs are considered property, it's sad, but true. They are not, they're more lenient around what you can test and what you can do. And because their DNA is so much close, so close to our DNA, mm-hmm. I truly believe wow. that we are going to find a cure for cancer maybe through dogs before we do people simply because the mm-hmm. red tape is shorter. So if we mm-hmm. can do this, you're not just doing it for dogs. You're also doing it for people, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Wow, great point. Well, probably the only thing we haven't covered is the cost. Like I think Embark, if you do their full, you know, everything good, uh, 
is like 199, which is also the same with 23andMe. And I think that a dinner breed is about $99. So yeah. You know, so if you're in a budget, like I love Embark because of the data mm-hmm. going back to Cornell. So I just love mm-hmm. the fact that I'm participating in a greater movement, a bigger mission. However, if it's a budget constraint, then you could go with identity. It's a great, I mean, like I said, they talk about the traits of the dog, things that I think would be very fascinating to people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's important. And as and, and I think with the um, Embark, you can do, you don't have to do the full 199. You can just do the ancestry and find out how much wolf you're yes. Same with us. You can, with the 23andMe, for example, they will tell you how much Neanderthal you have in you, 3%, 4%. That would be a lot. Oh. But, but unless you come straight from Africa or you, you know, are an African, you will have some Neanderthal in you. And I would guess every dog has some wolf in him. So that's kind of cool to find out, too. Well, Bark is the only one, I believe, that, that does what I call village dogs. They have a village oh, dog. Yeah, right. And we What's look at a village them. dog. Yeah, exactly. They're like, they call them like island dogs, pariah dogs, free ranging dogs. I call them straight. I mean, they're really what we as Americans would call stray, right? Like a dog that you don't really know what it is. And, mm-hmm. and they're kind of milling around and you go to other. They're running wild. They're feral. Yeah, wild. Like they, they don't, they stay outdoors and they come in, come over to your house if they're hungry right. or something. But otherwise they live yeah, out there. You don't see it in the States as much, even though, because just the way the, the, the how populated we are and it's just like but you go to india there's just i mean there's just dogs i mean you go to other countries like dogs are everywhere and that's what a village dog is and it's interesting that they they they, they um that the village dogs actually make up this is crazy 75 percent of the billion dogs that are on the planet are village dogs and so they're able to go in there and take a look at how much of that's in your dog. Oops, I lost my screen. Um, how much of that's in your dog. And I think it's super, I just think that's super fascinating because to me, it's like, it's not breed specific, right? So it's more, mm-hmm. they're going in and they're like taking a look at them and they're looking at like the village dogs on six continents, like since 2007 or something like that. It's crazy. And then they look at the origins of, origins of the dogs in Central Asia. And I think what is important is because some of the markers that are in there that they're able to um, apply, you know, to mm-hmm. dogs that maybe they don't have the breeding on, if that makes sense. And they even had something like Himalayan dogs, for an example, have a gene for high altitude adaption. So it's kind of fascinating mm. just to understand what kind of dog you have. Like I have a um, black mouth cur, and I don't know if you're familiar with that breed. I, I was not. No, I've never heard of that yeah. breed. And I actually rescued him. And it was a, an interesting story. This is a perfect dog. He's an old, old yeller from the movie Old Yeller was a black mouth cur. And they're mm. a little small. Hooch, come here. Hooch, come here. Come here. Will you come up here with mama? Will you come? I don't know if he will let me pick him up. Um, he's like, I'm just going to show him to you because he's so cute. Show him. Are you there? Are you in the camera? I can't tell. Yeah, um, yes. I have to edit this out. It's not planned. It's not organized. Anyways, this cute little dog. He's not even like, he's just amazing. He's so smart. But my daughter was at a horse show and there was a groom that had him and um, as a puppy and he was going to a new trainer and the trainer wouldn't let him take the dog. So the dog was perfect. Nothing wrong with the dog. It's just the human he was with couldn't take care of him. So Logan, my daughter took him, but at the time we had six dogs in the house. I'm like, no, um, it was too much. The pack was getting crazy. They're starting to get aggressive towards humans coming in the yard. It was just turning more into a pack mentality than I could manage. So I said, no. So she found a friend that would do it, lived in a dorm. So he lived with her in a dorm for a year. Okay. This is a dog that's supposed to be outside. It's a, it's not a dorm dog. 
He's wonderful. They loved him. And now she graduated and is going to go live with her aunt and her aunt's allergic to dogs and she simply can't have him in her house. So I ended up getting him after TJ passed away. He showed up in January and, mm. um, is he happy there in his new home? Oh my gosh, he's so happy. And he's so, like, the pack has changed because of his mentality. Like, he's so smart. He's a herding dog. But what I'm talking about for him is this, the fact that his, like, talk about village dogs and people are like, blackmouth cur. Blackmouth cur is when I go in to research it, like, really developed in America. It's an American bred dog that really was by poor people, like, in a southern region, like, did not have the money for the big, fancy dogs to protect their farms so this dog evolved and it's called a black mouth cur pretty small like smaller than a labrador but can take on a bear brave will wow. take on a cougar like they're super super brave and he is like he doesn't let anything phase him but he's chill about it like he actually is like i got this i don't i don't need to prove it to anyone it's just mm -hmm. it's so confident and i i talk about that because um i like looking at the different breeds and all of these i think um in bark it does over 250 breeds so i would love to know more about the black mouth cur through the mm -hmm. genetics because i don't I, I don't know anything else about it well like, well my cur. little dog is over here in the corner his name is winston winston winston, up, winston. he is uh, partly a Japanese chin and partly um, Pepeon. And he's a rare breed called a Niki. Um, he's really cute. You can't see his little whole face. He's, really, he's only five pounds. So he's so smart. I just adore this dog. I would like to know where his true ancestors come from because it's completely unknown. So I'm definitely going to do this testing to both of them actually. Yeah. I really, really want to be able to hone in on his diet because I did do a little... Um, allergy test with the dog and strangely enough to my surprise he can't do rice or oats and grains certain grains um so anyway so i was glad to know that because you know normally i think he, that it might be good for him to have some rice or oats but anyway right you know. it, it's, not, it's uh, not like it's one of those things because we've humanized our pets so much like even halo has a vegetarian kibble you know when we bought them i was like okay because that's oh, something well. people want to do for their dogs but you know again doing this i'm not educated on that piece of it like i truly come from the school of thought that people i follow are really focused more on eat, eat your dogs what they naturally would eat in the wild and organ meats too and organ meats organ meats are so important like that's what people understand is like even when you go to like a myali or farmer's dog both great better than kibble in my opinion but it's because it's, it looks appealing it's got carrots it's a piece still cooked mm -hmm. i mean still and organ meats. it's muscle meat so i mean and organ meats is really what matters to your dog because if you think about wolf in the wild when mm -hmm. they can make a kill they're not eating even the muscle meat like that's beneath mm -hmm. it they're gonna eat the heart first then they're gonna eat the lungs the kidneys and then whatever's left over on the lower people the lower dogs in the pack then they'll eat the muscle meat and the the, mm -hmm. the pieces of it so yeah that's what they say about humans they um after the kill they actually check the heart and the kidneys and all that first gave yeah. that i mean for example those organs I think you told me that we, we're one of the only countries that really doesn't like an organ based. I mean, m many of the other countries, people eat organs like all the time, but mm -hmm. in this country we're fillets, we're, we're muscle meat based. Mm -hmm. definitely, eaters, definitely. Right. Yeah. I'm not gonna say people don't, but it's, it's, it's much more the exception to have someone that's like, Oh, I'm going to eat chicken heart you know, or something. Well, well, if <laughs> people following the carnivore diet uh, where they say nose to tail, what they really mean, you're not eating the tail. What that really means is you are eating, uh, everything you know brain they eat a lot of brain in china oh. duck brain, and then uh kidneys and especially liver liver's got amazing nutrients in it and you can prepare it so that it's you know first of all you can get it from very healthy clean chickens that are raised well and you can prepare it so it can taste delicious um 
And then, you know, so we don't eat much, though. It's really sad. And you should be giving it to your dog. Well, we probably are out of time, but I think we covered a lot of stuff in our little talk here. But most of all, I think wrapping up that. Yeah, I had all your notes on it. You know, consider gene testing for their dog, too. And, uh, you know, really look around and find out uh, about testing for humans. Like, I know millions of people have done 23andMe, but. There are other gene companies, uh, other companies coming online that have, they're here now that have their own DNA test kit. So you don't have to go to 23andMe. Self-Decode has a great one that has more genes coming out and a lot of scientific research on everything. And, And we have a program too called Butterfly Genomics, which is a training program for practitioners. Uh, that we use the gene, uh, the 23, we, we use self-decode's gene test. And so you get to use our program, learn all about how to test, because this is a big, big hole right here. Once you get your genes, you need to work with a practitioner who knows exactly how to look at those genes and how to help you make the right decisions. And then, and then if they've taken the self-decode test, uh, the that test kit, then they get um, access to both of our programs. So I love that. And I had so much fun on the interview today. And the only point I want to land for people at the end that I didn't mention, but just briefly is, you know, for those of you who are really fascinated with this or have a high fear of cancer or, or maybe have a dog that is experiencing that right now, I really encourage you to check out like a company called Keto Sanctuary. It's a nonprofit um, and they have really focused on putting dogs into ketosis to help uh, combat some of the cancer that they're, that they're, you know, I don't want to say it's a cure for cancer because I'm always careful about saying that type of thing, but I'm saying they have a lot of interesting research where dogs that had like level, you know, four, uh, stage four cancer, like stage two. Um, mm-hmm. I have a friend named Tom at long living pets, long living pets. Um, and he's doing terrific work with like, he's got PI sent people had dogs had cancer and they follow his protocol and they don't have cancer anymore. Wow. So I can't well, that, that's for humans too. And getting yeah. back to the fact that we share almost, we, our genes are almost identical. Um, and that's also a ketogenic diet is recommended for cancer and seizures. Yeah. For so, doctors, I just want people to I know, know that. that. Like, that's fascinating. So can you give us that website again? And where we yeah, can- it's, um, keto, sanctu- uh, keto sanctuary. If you just, go- I, I, I think it's keto sanctuary.org, but just if you go, Google mm-hmm. Keto Sanctuary, it's big and they have so, I mean, please do that. Um, and they're nonprofits. So there's no commercial, uh, thing happening here. Um, mm-hmm. I just would like for more people to know that there's options. Um, and then I think it's live long pets or long live pets. Um, if you Google that, it'll come up and, uh, put raw diet in there or something like that. And they, he's created a protocol that, um, really, I, I mean, I, I'm, I just, I don't, I can't say that that's why my friend's dog does not have cancer anymore because I don't know that that's true. I just know that when you started working with him, the dog had cancer and now he's not working with him and, and now he's complete and he doesn't have cancer anymore. Mm, and he focuses primarily on nutrition. So, well, how can people find more information on True Pet? Well, if you go to truedog.com, that's where you can check it out. What's really cool about our food, uh, specifically our freeze dried dog food, is it actually, we didn't plan on this, but uh, my friend that's a, a, a keto expert said, you know, your dog's, your food's perfectly uh, formulated for 
ketosis, like to put your dog in ketosis. And I was like, no, mm -hmm. I didn't actually know that when we created it, um, that that was because it, it was earlier. Keto's now become such a big trend. And mm -hmm. he said, yeah, and he actually did a dog. Uh, a, he actually did a book at they can get at Amazon too, um, that is called the Cancer Cure for Dogs. I think I'm just trying to get it to pull up here. I had it. I was like, it's been a while, but he did a book on that that we participated in, and um, it's called I can't I can't believe I've forgotten that name right it's now. It's on his site though. Yeah. Yeah. So you can check yeah. it out. So, so um, it sounds like in that case, you know, the IntelliBreed breed um, is a really good one because it's going to give you like just with humans there, we should not all be on the ketogenic diet. Now, if you have something really serious like epilepsy and cancer, then that might change things short term and do it short term. But um, if you have the APOE4 gene, again, as I mentioned, you don't want to be doing a really high fat diet. Right. Diet. So I, guess, you know, I don't know all this about, um, not an expert in, in telebreed or right yet, but, uh, I was just excited to bring this information to people for the gene summit. And, um, and I, I think that something like IntelliBreed would be great because it sounds like it's honing right into yeah. this diet. And actually the book's name is the cancer cure for diet for dogs, the cancer cure diet for dogs using ketogenic diet to prevent, treat and cure cancer in your furious family members. So that's what it's is called. Is that an Amazon book? Can you uh -huh. just get it? Amazon. Okay, great. So the cancer care diet for dogs. I mean, there's no link. There's no, you just, you can check it out. If you're, if this is something, or if you have a friend that'd like to know more about options, I certainly would have liked to know about that back in the day. So I love to spread the news. It's a cool book. It's very mm -hmm. easy to understand. Um, so, and I just think it's important that people just know there's options. So, and mm -hmm. always work with your vet. You know, I, I want to say that again, I'm everyone's, I, I do not, I love vets. I advocate for vets. My vet is like one of my best friends, uh, both my dog and my horse vet. And my animals are healthy because I regularly take them to my vet and I'm in a relationship with my vet. I'm just letting you know that there are different types of vets out there, just like there's different types of doctors. I prefer a holistic vet personally. Um, mm. That's just what I prefer. And I think you'll see a difference because they focus more on nutrition than the more traditional vet does. Mm -hmm. I'm less likely to give you antibiotics. They look yeah. for alternate yeah. other options. So I love that. You know, I like, I like options and then just choose best and just know that you're choosing for your dog and your life depends on your choice. No pressure. Sounds great. <laughs> no pressure, people. For, for people out there who are passionate about their pets like we are, your dogs and your horses and my Winston here, um, I think this is a great interview. So, Ray, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you.